0: Okay, um, so I've been in Malaysia just almost two years now, and it it seems like quite a short time, and uh, I joined the church a little bit after that time, Um, and I want to ask the question today, um, what do you see this church looking like in the future? What do you see this church looking like in the future? Because... I hope that, like me, you were taught in Sunday school or when you you first became a Christian that the church isn't the building. This certainly doesn't look like a church building. Uh, The church is the people, Uh, and that means uh, you and uh, me, Craig and Mike, and uh, all of uh, the people being baptized. Uh, But you are very much part of this church. The people make the church. So that's the question. Um, so, as we read the passage, I want you to think about that. Um, so, we're in Acts 20. If you've got your Bibles, that'd be great for you to, to read them. And if you've got a mobile device with a Bible, we're looking at the ESV version. Last week, we looked at uh, chapter 19. There was um, Paul was in Ephesus, um, and there was a riot, and it was a bit of a comical moment. They all went into the arena, and they were shouting and and. Just people, a lot of the people just didn't know why they were there or why they were shouting. I think just sometimes people get angry and feel like shouting whatever they're angry about. Uh, But then they shout for two hours. Artemis is uh, is great. Um, And then we come to Acts 20. So um, Paul moves on. Um, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And this is where the difficult names come in. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy. It doesn't say much about Timothy. And the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. Uh, These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from, uh, away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days." On the first day of the week, when we gathered the, together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he pro- prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many mat- lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, s- sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked uh, still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell from the, uh, down from the third story And was taken up up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him. Taking him in his arms said. Do not be alarmed. For his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up. And broken bread and eaten. He conversed with them a long while. Until uh, daybreak. And so departed. And they took the youth away alive. And were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship. We set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard uh, there. for the, He had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And w- when he went to, uh, met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Ma- uh, Ma- uh, Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came uh, the following day to Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the next day, uh, and the day after that, we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to set sail uh, to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening uh, to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Let me pray as we look at the Bible. Father, we thank you for your Word and the record of Paul's travels here. We thank you for Luke's writing. We pray for your spirit to be in us, opening up what you have to teach us. Open our minds to understand what you you have to teach us about your church and about our role within it um, and uh, Paul's ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... As we come to this passage, uh, before I, uh, I have a look back into this passage, I want to look back. Do you remember where we were in chapter 1? Sorry for those who weren't here. Uh, There's uh, that's, that's quite a few of you. This church has really grown, and, and that's exciting. Uh, does it, uh, you know, think back to what it was like in Acts chapter 1. Well, we've come a long way from there. Back in chapter 1, there were just 120. There was a small group of frightened disciples. And Jesus spoke to them and said that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I wonder whether at that time some of the disciples were thinking, how on earth is that going to happen? There's just 120 of us. Uh, there's the whole Roman Empire, there's all the Jews who are against us. And then after Pentecost, 5,000 were converted, and it would have been an exciting time. Yes, this can happen. So many different nations would have been converted at that time. And then came the persecution, and... Came the persecution. Uh, And and they may have wondered, how is this going to happen? How are we going to reach the ends of the earth with this persecution? But instead of that persecution driving the Christians uh, to ground, instead it spread the gospel. And God used that persecution to spread the word. And now we see as Paul, uh, Paul is traveling, firstly in Ephesus, which as uh, Claire uh, pointed out was modern day uh, last week, modern day Turkey. Uh, here we see him going into Greece and then on to Macedonia. That's a long way. We're getting there, aren't we? To the ends of the earth, through Asia, out into the east. He's going to Rome, eventually, out to the west. And this, um, so, uh, He's encouraging his church, the, the churches that he's planted all the, along the way. Is, this isn't unique, though. Every time Paul travels out on his missionary journeys, he aims to revisit the churches that he's established, encouraging them as he goes. And I want to remind you that Paul faced hostility at a lot of these places, and even stoning in a couple of them. So why he would want to go back is, is a bit crazy. <sighs> And the gospel is what drives him. And I hope that this might change the view you have of Paul. I don't know what kind of view you have of Paul, but sometimes Paul is seen to be the stony-faced lone gunman heading out into the west or the east in this situation, converting people and solely interested in evangelism. I don't know whether you've met any of the missionaries or evangelists. They sometimes seem so focused and... It's it's amazing to see, and they they do it. Some of them do it on their own, and that's amazing to see. But here we see Paul investing in people. These are the people he brought to Christ through much discomfort and possible danger to himself. Since coming to Malaysia, I've I've had more of an opportunity to travel. There's not that much to do around JB. I'm afraid. and my school, all the staff on the holidays just go everywhere, and I've had not, you know, been really blessed to be able to travel uh, to to uh, to visit my friends all around Asia and in Australia, and New Zealand, which is is great. Um, and I wonder what you think, uh, whether you've got any interesting stories about travel, any dis- you know, uh, horror stories. Um, I wonder what you think of. Yeah, you know, for example, uh, economy class travel, and whether you've got any horror stories of those, whether uh, what you think of um, Tiger Air or uh, American Airlines or maybe uh, Jetstar, which, which is the worst? Um, well, I'm, I'm sure that doesn't compare. None of those compare to the first century boat travel. Remember that Paul would have been travelling all around, and this would have taken weeks and months. I've got a long haul flight uh, with one exchange tonight. Uh, I think it's about thirty hour f- flight uh, to Rome, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, this, this is going to be really difficult. But weeks—imagine weeks of travel on on just a boat, um, living on fish and. Uh, the, uh, the food on the, the boat would probably not be anywhere near the the, the the comfortable food that you might get on a long-haul flight. Um, so you can see that Paul invests, despite discomfort and danger, in these people. I can sometimes understand why Paul is uh, seen to be uh, a stuffy or lofty intellectual. Even, Paul, even Peter writes about Paul, and he says that, yeah, our brother Paul's writing can be difficult to understand. But let me read this that Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also of ourselves, our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Those aren't the words of a lone gunman, someone who's solely focusing on just converting new people. Nor the words of a lofty intellectual solely concerned with the arguments and and breaking down uh, the misunderstandings of other people. Here we see a Paul who is fully compassionate in his caring of those he has brought to Christ. You see, the hard work of evangelism is not the scary initial part of telling people uh, the gospel. It's the continued care and encouragement. Of this encouragement, John Stott wrote, it is a vital ministry in establishing Christian disciples. It is a vital ministry, this ministry of encouragement, in establishing Christian disciples. So the question is, is this what we're doing as a church? Do we have a passion for supporting and encouraging other Christians, other churches? What does this mean for you, each of you? What gifts of encouragement has God given you? Let's look down at verse 4. Again, we see that he's not a lone gunman. He's not alone, is he? Mike and I both spoke about this in chapter 13, uh, looking at the the people around Paul. Paul is in the business of training up people. These are the future evangelists and future leaders of the church. They've left their uh, their homes and families to follow Paul to learn what it means to be a sacrificial servant. Does that sound familiar? It should. Yeah. Yeah. Just as the 12 disciples left their homes and their families to follow Jesus, Paul is following that model and living and working with these men to train them to take over when he leaves. And let's take a look at who he's got with him. These are the difficult names. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy. And the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, and not mentioned here, obviously, is, is Luke who's writing this. We see many of these characters elsewhere in Paul's letters. Tychicus is mentioned in his letter to the Colossians as a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a, f- a fellow servant. Aristarchus is also mentioned in Colossians as a fellow uh, worker. And we actually have two letters to Timothy as one of Paul's leading ministers in the region. In his letter to the Philippines, Paul writes, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me with uh, with me in the gospel. That's Paul's opinion of Timothy, who he's training up. And this is what he says to Timothy in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let me read that again, out again. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who who will be able to teach others also. So you can see that he's saying to Timothy, do like I have done. You have seen me doing this work. You have served with me. And do you see in this passage, how many generations is he talking about faithful servants? I count four or five, starting with Christ, starting with Jesus, who trained up others and who called personally called Paul to preach for him. Then we've got Paul, who then uh, trains these young men. Then we've got Timothy, who becomes the leader of the church. And then Timothy is, is told to train up faithful men, faithful men, who will tell others. That's five generations of Christians. That's amazing. It's not a coincidence. Paul is passing on this model, this strategy, onto others. Paul is this concern for the continuing spread and faithful work of the gospel. Isn't this something that we should be doing? And let's look back at verse 4. Let's look down. Where are these disciples from? Two of them are from Thessalonica. Two of them are from uh, Derby, Two of them from Asia. I know that's quite a big place, but it would be yeah, uh, near Asia, uh, middle, the Middle East. Okay. Um, and one is from Berea. The gospel really is reaching the ends of the earth but let's have a look at those in this church. There's a few from Malaysia. There's maybe one or two from America. Uh, there's a couple from the UK. There's a gaggle from f- the Philippines and Indonesia. And uh, there's, there's someone from Germany. There's, and, and sorry if I didn't. Uh, uh, South Africa? There's, sorry if I didn't uh, mention where you're from. But we've got a selection from the ends of the earth here. Isn't this what Jesus said to his disciples? Are we a church that trains up people uh, in the hope to send them out to preach the gospel? This work started in Acts, and it's not yet done. Jesus' great commission at the end of Matthew, to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, is not yet done. And we're commissioned to do that work, to continue that work. Are we discipling young people to equip them to fulfill God's work, this work? doesn't have to be young people either. And this is what my hope is for the Christians who attend the groups that I run in my school I hope that they will have a simple faith, that they will be sure of their own salvation and they will be able to explain it to others. I hope that they will have a robust faith they will be, that will be able to withstand argument. And I hope that they will have a love for the lost, which will spur them on to share their faith. Finally, I can't leave this passage without talking about the most significant incident at Troas. Uh, That is that Paul managed to speak from sunset to sunrise. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So um, I think it's um, pretty fitting that today, which is uh, a day of baptism, that we have this passage about uh, um, someone uh, dying and being raised from the dead. The symbol uh, symbolism of baptism is dying to your old self and rising to a new life devoted to Jesus, and so we see Paul uh, raising from the dead um, this young boy. Uh, he's supposed to be about we, we guess somewhere between eight and fourteen. Um, now, that's kind of the age that I teach, um, and as interesting a speaker as I would like, and I actually try and avoid speaking too much in my classes. I have had one or two students uh, fall asleep in my classes. My classes are only 45 minutes long. I try and speak for 10 minutes at most, and still I don't know what happens. You know. uh, I have to admit that I also have a bit of a bad habit of falling asleep in, uh, in classes, in, not, not in my lessons. Um, in You can ask my head of department in meetings occasionally, uh, some of my students see me sometimes nodding off during the assembly, um, and, and once I actually almost fell asleep, almost fell asleep during jury service. <laughs> so yeah, that was not a good thing. Uh, this crowded room, so th- they would have packed themselves into this crowded room, which was lit by uh, and heated by these smoky lamps late into the night. It's not surprising that uh, this young young boy uh, would have f- fallen asleep, um, and he falls from the third floor, and he's pronounced dead. And just in case you weren't sure that whether he was dead, maybe he was just knocked unconscious, we have the author of Acts. Luke is a doctor. Luke is the one that recorded the spear piercing Jesus' side, and the blood and water separating, which is a sign that he's dead. He pronounces this boy dead. Who better to pronounce him dead than a doctor? Here's a quick quiz. Uh, I've asked this before, see how many people remember. How many people, in fact, which people in the Bible have raised uh, people from the dead? How many people in the Bible have performed the miracles? Yes. Yes. Peter, Paul, and Jesus, that's three. Elijah, Elisha, Elisha. and that's it. Just five people, five instances, well, Jesus several times, but four other instances of uh, people being raised from the dead. So it's quite significant. We saw in chapter 9 that Peter uses the same words as Jesus to raise the widow Tabitha. And I said in that sermon that the timing of these miracles in the account was endorsement of Peter and then Paul bringing the gospel to the Gentiles as part of God's ordained plan. So what's the purpose here and the timing of this miracle? It's, it's not at the start of Paul's ministry. So why is it here? I think that this is, uh, this is entering a time, this is a change uh, from Paul, Paul's evangelism, his missionary journeys, and we see that what Paul does next, he goes to Jerusalem, and then he's arrested. And we see a passage of time where Paul uh, has to defend the gospel en route to Rome. We never see what happens in Rome. Paul goes to his death. And we suspect that uh, that Paul, in in Paul's writing, we suspect that he knew that, that he was going to his death, and that he knew that we knew that he was going to Rome. But we see Paul uh, in several instances defending the gospel. He stands up, defends it legally. He stands up and defends it religiously uh, to the Jews, um, and repeatedly he shows that the gospel is something that is defensible. And this is God's confirmation of Paul's ministry. And more than anything else, we see the the gospel, this good news that Paul is preaching, it brings life. Today we'll see some baptism. Death to the old self, life to a new self devoted to God. The gospel brings new life. And this is, the last, this is my last point. I'm almost finished. Here's the interesting thing. If someone was brought to life, uh, someone maybe chokes on a donut. Yeah, we can't resuscitate him quickly enough. Um, and then somehow uh, someone kind of brings him back to life uh, like an hour later. What would we do? Well, probably celebrate. Not donuts, but hopefully like the celebration we'll have later, you know, good food, just enjoying the fact that, and, and, and praising God. What do these people do? Let's have a look down. What do the people in Troas do? Well, they ate and they carried on conversing with Paul, which we believe is, is he, that he carried on teaching them. Can you believe that? He, he raises someone from the dead and carries on teaching. Perhaps they knew that this might be the last time that they might see him. Or perhaps they so sought after the word of God that they wanted to continue to hear from him. I suspect that it's a bit of both. Let's pray that we have a similar hunger after the Word of God and knowing the truth and knowing how God's Word applies in our life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have shown us these miracles which support your Word, but help us to remember that it is your Word that is most important. Help us to know that it is defensible And apply it to our lives, not just see it as some intellectual exercise, but apply it to our lives. And we pray that it teaches us to love, love each other, and love other Christians, love other brothers, so that we can continue to encourage them. Lord, we pray for this church that we can hunger for your word and we can love the lost and we can love our brothers. Lord, we pray that we can continue to model this church that Jesus started, that Paul is planting, and that we can reach out to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.